I was uh, encouraged and excited just to watch you guys as I stood in the back and just watched as you greeted one another and the, the smiling faces and the camaraderie that, that's here. Even amongst, uh, we have many visitors here today, and it's just an amazing thing to sit and watch people's God, God's people come together and just find that connection and be, be comfortable with one another. It was, it was very encouraging. But the reality is, is that that takes effort and takes work. It, it's not something that, that happens um, just naturally. It's difficult for us. And so... I just, I just want to start, really, uh, this has nothing to do with the sermon. This is a, a bonus, I guess. I just want to encourage you, if you're visiting with us today, that that's really what we are striving to be about. We are striving to be God's people doing God's work together for God's glory so that others come to worship him. If you'd like to find out more about us, don't hesitate to ask somebody here. Let us know. We, we want to be of service to you. Another point for all those visiting, we, I put up every week a live uh, a live, um, I forget what it's called, it's version Live. If you have a smart device and you want to follow along with the notes, the scripture verses are all there. You go to version, you open it up on your smart device, you look for your live events, you'll find us, the Way Faith community, and you can follow all the notes there. There's some questions there, there's some opportunities for you to give feedback and things like that. If you would like to do that, please take advantage of it. I think it would be extremely helpful for you. But today we're really closing out a, a, a full summer's worth of sermons, but really also closing out our, our most recent mini-series of sermons. At the beginning of the summer, I called you to using the summer, using this time this summer to get to know God better, not simply in your knowledge. I think there's many of us, especially in our church, I think there's many of us that have much knowledge about God. We have a lot of knowledge. But beyond our knowledge, I wanted you to know Him more in your experience, in your intimacy, and not just have information about God but have, have knowledge, intimate knowledge in experiencing him, in walking with him. And to that end, we designed the whole sermon series that, that we walked through in, in that light. We started off with four overarching attributes of God and, and really looked at how they are specifically applicable to us as we begin to learn about them and then to trust them and put them into practice, how they interact with us and how they empower us for life. And then we moved from understanding God's identity to understanding God's work and, and looking at the lengths at which he went to save us and what he's done in salvation in us. He's not just saved us and said, oh, now you're saved. He's given us a new identity. And in addition to the sermons, I mean, your, your community group book study, your community group study has been designed or, or intended to draw you to a place where you see and get to know God. And, and get to understand the, the depths and the breadth of who he is. And, and we've studied the scripture. I mean, we, we started a 60-day um, through the New Testament journey, through the New Testament, I think it's what it's called, Bible reading plan. And as we did that, I'll just be honest, I have fallen behind. I'm about five or six, seven days behind. I, I, I'm probably not the only one. If I am, I'm sorry. I let you down. But the reality is I've fallen behind. And, and so I want to say, I, I say that not to say, hey, feel sorry for me. I say that to say, it's okay if you fell behind. Let's just keep going. Let's, let's finish the work we started. Let's finish it. Just keep going. You'll get through eventually, and that's okay. It's not about the, the time in which the amount of how quickly we can cover it. It's about ensuring that we cover it and we read it and we spend time in it. That's really what's more important. And so all of those things were intended to help us know and gain understanding and, and build knowledge of God. But that's not where it stops. 
You see, to know God in, in, in increasing measure, our study of him has to give way to what we've learned about him. You can't say you know God if you have information about him, but then don't react to it in any way. You can't say you know, I mean, you could, you could say you know all about me. But if you've never spent time with me or walked with me or, 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 or hung out with me, you don't know me. You know about me. There's a difference. There's a big difference. So for us to know God, to really know him in an increasing measure, we have to, to take what we've learned about him and put it into action. Go back to Hebrews where we were at two weeks ago. And every one of those people that are in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, every one of those people were people who walked in faith. They didn't just have knowledge and an intellectual assent to God. They had a faith that moved them to action. So in addition to our studies, we have, we have taken on things like our, our 60 days, or our, I'm not, sorry, not our 60 days, but our, our pray by name initiative. This puts us squarely in dependence on God, not just for ourselves, but for other people. The 60 day, or the by, by name initiative, I'm sorry, the by name initiative was all about getting us to a place where we began to pray and consistently think of and put people we know that don't know Jesus in front of Jesus, asking that God would show up and bust into their life with his grace and his mercy, that they would be transformed and that they would come to know Christ like we know Christ. It puts us in a place where we are completely dependent because remember, we have studied the fact that, that, that God saves us. We know that we can attract people with gimmicks. We know that, that we can have debates with people, but those things will never convert them or change them or bring satisfaction to them. Only the work of God through the Holy Spirit, by the power of Jesus Christ on the cross and in his resurrection, give us the hope of life. It's not just true for you, it's true, true for those you're praying for. It puts us in complete dependence upon him to see him act and work and see his name exalted. In addition to us praying for people, the community group study, it didn't just highlight the truths of God. It called you to identify something in your life that did not honor him, that you needed to change. And to take the truths of God that you have learned and put them up against that thing that you know doesn't honor him and apply those truths to that thing. It could be any number of things. Where do you find your comfort? How, what makes you feel secure? Why do you worry? What makes you angry? Those are all the questions we've been asking. For the last two weeks, I've given you a handout to go home and examine your life in this way. In light of who God is, how are you now living? In these last three sermons, I, I told you when we started them, I I really had no idea how we were, what we were going to do. But God, man, he showed up, and he showed up in a big way, and he, it, it makes complete sense. And, and honestly, I, I couldn't have planned this any better. See, this final sermon series that we're in takes us learning about the attributes of God, takes us recognizing that he has worked out in us a new nature. He has brought us from death to life. And now he calls us to act like it. And so we looked two weeks ago at the, the passage from Hebrews that says that we are to set aside our weights and sins, those things that hinder us, that keep us for, from, from running the race well. Set those things aside, let go of them, push them aside. And then last week we studied in Philippians, where we, were, where we were no longer letting things go, but we were grabbing hold of the things of God, those things that he's worked out in us, taking hold of this new nature and exercising it and putting it into work and, and, and living from it as opposed to our old nature. 
And today, as we close this out, I just would ask you to come with me as we hear the call from Jesus to die. That freaks some of us out. I don't want to die. I like life. I like the things of this life. But let's, let's, let's see what Jesus has to say. We're going to be in Mark chapter 8. Let's start reading verse 34. The, the verses will be on the screen behind me. They're also on the YouVersion app. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after him, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now we're going to stop right there. In that first part of that phrase, in the first part of that verse, he says, and, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, we're going to stop, we're going to build some context, we're going to understand what led up to this moment where Jesus calls the crowd to himself. He had just been having a conversation with his disciples in particular. It was just him and his closest followers, those students of his that had been following him for some time that were with him, not just because he had worked miracles, but because they didn't know where else to go. They recognized that he was something more than anyone else thought. In fact, it's just a few verses before that Peter makes the famous confession that says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You guys have all heard, probably heard that. If you've, if you've studied the scriptures at all, you've probably heard him talk about that later. Matthew says in, in his telling of this, Matthew says that Jesus responded to him by saying, you didn't come to this by your own power or your own will, but God has revealed it to you. The father has revealed it to you. Jesus then goes into telling them that he is going to have to suffer and die. Now, now put, the, put this into your mind. Uh, think about this. They've just confessed that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the son of the living God. Jesus says, I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise. Do you see how they could all of a sudden begin to struggle with that thought? Do you see how that could, could raise questions? In the, wait, wait a minute. But you're the one. Aren't you the one? Well, Peter... Being who Peter was, you know, sometimes he's, well, not just sometimes, but oftentimes he spoke before he thought. He pulls Jesus aside. He's like, Jesus, man, you shouldn't be saying things like that. And in fact, in, in Mark, it tells us that Peter rebuked Jesus. I mean, that's pretty gutsy, right? I mean, here you've walked with this guy. You've seen him heal people. You've seen him, him feed thousands. You've seen him do amazing, miraculous things. So you know he's got power. I mean, surely if he can make the blind see, he can make the see blind, right? If he can make uh, the lame walk, he can make the walking lame. I, and, and so here Peter is, you know, I, I think he's probably sucking it all up inside himself. I'm going to be a man. Jesus, oh, you're wrong, Jesus. You, you shouldn't be talking like that. You know what Jesus said to him? Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> That's strong language, right? I mean, how would you feel if Jesus showed up to you and said, hey, Satan, you're in my way. See, you're not thinking of the things of God. You're thinking of yourself. You're thinking of the things of man. Get behind me, Satan. You see, the reality is, is that what Peter was struggling with here is, is, is something that I think is common to all of us. Humanity desires glory without sacrifice. We desire to remove the curse of sin without fulfilling the debt which it incurred. Now, certainly, history's pages are full of lives of people who have committed themselves to something or other. I mean, you have people dying for false religions all over the world today. 
You ha- I-, I have friends who have given themselves so much to fitness that that's become their religion. And they say things like, trust your struggle. And their bodies have changed radically because they're so given to this. But J.C. Ryle tells us that even in the best things we do, a pardon is, is required. You see, even as Peter stood there facing Jesus, he thought he was doing the right thing. But he was caught up in his own perspectives. He's caught up in his own desires. Peter wanted what was good without the bad. See, but God demands justice. God demands justice. Because of sin, we can't experience glory without sacrifice. We can't. Here's the, here's the, the reason for us to be thankful. Jesus paid that price for us in full. On the cross, he said, it is finished. It's done. There's nothing more that we can do. And so today, as I, as I preach the rest of this message, I don't want you to hear me calling you to work it out so that you can earn your place before God because Jesus left something undone because that's a lie. That's religion. There is no penance to be paid. You are clean. You're righteous. Your debt is fulfilled. Walk in security. Walk in confidence and boldness because of the blood of Christ. You see, God demanded justice, and Jesus provided that justice. But don't miss this point. As long as there is a sinful flesh that we struggle with, you will feel the weight of sin. You will feel the consequences with which it comes. And Jesus says, there's one thing to do with it. Kill it. Kill it. And this is how he says it. After finishing with Peter, he turns and he, and he takes this opportunity. And he calls out to the crowd, come, come and listen. I, I, I've got something I need to teach you. And the crowd comes to him. And he says this to all of them. This, this isn't just for those that are following now. This is for all who need to hear the message. Of the gospel. So if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ today, hear this call. We like to soften the gospel message. We don't like to say that kind of stuff. He says, if you are to come after me, if any of you is to come after me, you must deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. There's four pieces of that verse that I think are important that we need to understand. First, he says, he, he says, to come after Jesus, if you're going to come after me, literally, literally, what he is saying is, you're going to be my student, and I'm going to be your master and Lord if I let your life be perfect. This is what believing in me, or what following me will look like. This is what will happen. Now, because of the broader context, and you'll hear it in just a minute, because of the broader context, we can recognize and we can learn that Jesus isn't just talking about those people who are following him now in the flesh. You see, he's talking to people who have already been following him. And he's calling them to something more than just walking in the flesh. So to come after Jesus means to trust Jesus. 
to recognize that his words are words of life. It's to recognize that he is Lord and Master. It's to recognize that he is the great teacher. It's to recognize that he is the anointed one of God. You see, Jesus isn't calling for disciples like those that we studied in John 6 a few weeks ago that came after him because he had set them free and came after him because they had seen his mighty works, but then when the teaching got difficult, they walked away. See, Jesus is calling for disciples like Peter, James, John, Andrew, Matthew, the others. It was as imperfect as they were. As much as they still had to learn. As much as they had to take the knowledge that they had learned and then put it into action and, and, and mold their lives around it. As much as, as there was still weak in them, they had come to trust Jesus. They'd come to know him. They'd come to believe the words he said and they knew that there was nowhere else they'd had to turn. These are the followers that Jesus is calling to himself. People who have been made alive and whose eyes have been opened and who have been given knowledge of his true identity by the Father and given life through the Spirit. He says, if you're going to come after me, meaning if you're going to trust me, this, this is what it's going to look like. You see, I told you a few weeks ago in John chapter 6 that, that maybe the most important verse for every person to, that, that, that comes to Christ to know is that the work of God, John 6, 29, the work of God is to believe in him whom he has sent. Not believe in him like you believe in Santa Claus. Trust him. Trust like you would the chair you're sitting in, depending on him, looking to him for the, for the truth and for, for the way and for, for answers in life. You want to know what it looks like for someone to believe? You want to know what it looks like for someone to trust? Jesus breaks it out here. He says, to trust Jesus or to trust me means trusting him more than we trust ourselves. He says, the very, very first thing he says, if you're going to come after me, you must deny yourself. It means that we have to trust him more than we trust ourselves. He, we have to look to him and understand that his perspectives are greater than ours. His knowledge is more than ours. His, his answer is better than ours. Peter's the prime example. He had just stood face to face with Jesus and rebuked him. And Jesus rebuked him right back. And in that moment, in that moment when, when Peter heard these words... Get behind me, Satan. Peter was faced with a crisis of faith. What was he going to do? How do you respond to that? I mean, just, just imagine. Say you came to me. You wanted counseling. You came to me and, you, and, and, and you're struggling with some issue in your life. Or you didn't, I, I, maybe this is better. This will be better, a little, more, a little more in line with what's going on. I'm just coming up with this on the spur of the moment, so just hang with me. You don't like the way I'm leading the church. You don't like some decision I've made, although I'm not making them by myself, but you don't like the, some decision that I've, I've brought to you. You're frustrated. And I looked at you and I said, you know what? You got in your mind the things of man, not the things of God. Get behind us, Satan. Are, are you going to keep coming to the church? So you laugh because you don't want me to say that to you. In fact, that's not how you grow a church in this culture, is it? 
He make everybody feel warm and fuzzy and happy about things. So if that's your attitude, get behind us, Satan. And then get in line with us and walk behind us, please. Because we're more about the things of God here than we are the things of man. But, but you don't, you, we don't do that. We don't want that. Peter's faced with a crisis of faith. Get behind me, Satan. Well, I mean, there's nothing you can do when Jesus says that to you, but get out of his way. Right? But you do have a choice. Am I going to continue to follow? Am, am, am I going to continue to walk after him? He just insulted my intelligence. He insulted me. He made me feel little and small. He called me Satan, of all things. Well, history tells us we've, we've got the benefit of history, and it's a great thing that we do because Peter, we know, continued to follow Jesus. As he faced that crisis of faith, he did what one who has been in, 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 invigorated with the life by the Spirit would do. He followed Jesus. What else can I do? In fact, if you remember back in John 6, when, G, when, when Peter answered Jesus about who they say he was, he says, he says to him, where else can I go? You have the words of life. And Peter molded his perspective to Jesus. He trusted Jesus more than he trusted himself. Well, what about Judas? See, Judas is another great example. A man who followed Jesus, who walked with Jesus, who by all accounts in, in the Gospels had worked miracles by the power of Jesus. But would later betray him. You see, history tells us and a tradition tells us we don't have any way to ensure that this is true. It's not the words of Scripture. It could have been adapted and changed as history has gone by. But tradition tells us that Judas didn't hand Jesus over to the authorities because he didn't believe in Jesus. But because he did believe in Jesus, but he had a better plan for Jesus. You see, Judas was a religious, a religious and a political zealot. And he, he believed that Jesus was to be the one who led Israel to its place of prominence and who established the kingdom of Israel and brought them out from under the oppression of Rome. I, I, he, he really believed that. But he didn't like what Jesus was doing. He didn't like the weakness that Jesus showed. He didn't like that Jesus didn't stand in the, in the temple and claim his rightful place. He didn't like that Jesus was out helping the poor and feeding the hungry. And, and on the sidelines. And when Jesus began to teach and talk that he was going to die, Judas was like, that, that, that's not right. He's the one. I got a better plan. And rather than listen to Jesus' plan, Judas brings the authorities. Turns him over, thinking that he is going to force Jesus' hand. And Jesus allows himself to be crucified. Judas is faced with a crisis of faith. Am I going to accept God's plan? Jesus' plan? Or am I going to believe myself, trust my own perspective, trust my, my own thoughts more? You know where it led him? Jesus is crucified. 
And Judas hangs himself, riddled with guilt. Trust Jesus more than trust trusting yourself. You see, that's what it is to trust Jesus, to deny ourselves. That means our perspectives, our thoughts, our, our ideas, our plans, everything. To deny ourselves is to set ourselves aside when we find we are in contradiction to Jesus. That means that what you think isn't always going to be right. That means that when you come to something in the scripture, in fact, if you've read through the, the New Testament in 60 days, there's probably things you've had to struggle with. I know some of them because you've asked me questions about them. But the idea is not to come to them and make them fit your perspectives. It's to deny yourself. It's to to fall in line with the teaching of God. In the New Testament, in, in the Word of God, in the Scriptures, we have God's plan for redemption. We have God's plan for His people. We have God's plan for His plans, or we have God's plan to finish His work. We have it. He's told us. He's shown us clearly. And if there's any thought, if there's any perspective, if there is any idea or desire within you that is in contradiction to what he has told us, he says, deny it. Turn from it. Squash it. Kill it. In fact, in fact, the very next part of that verse he says to pick up your cross. Deny yourself and pick up your cross. See, trusting Jesus means being willing to suffer just as Jesus suffered. It may mean that you have to die for what you believe. It may mean that all those things that you long for may have to be put to death. See, based on what we know from Jesus' conversation just prior to this verse, to these verses, we don't know that Jesus told them about crucifixion or that he was going to be crucified the way he was going to die. We don't know that. We just know that he, was going to say, that he said he was going to suffer and he was going to die and then raise again. But you can be certain that as soon as these people heard the word, pick up your cross, that the idea of death was in their mind. And see, we've, we've whitewashed the cross. We put it in our houses and polish it up and make it look shiny and pretty. We wear it on necklaces around our neck. We hang it on our walls. If these people were to walk into our houses, they'd be appalled. This was, this was, this was the worst way for a person to die. The word excruciating comes out of it because it means that it, it, it defines how horrible the cross was. That's okay for us to do. I don't want you to feel guilty. I'm not asking you to go home and throw away your cross necklace. I, the reality is, is by the cross, we have victory. So it's okay for us to look back and see the victory that's won there. Don't feel bad about that. But recognize that the context that these, as they sat there and they heard him talk about picking up your cross, they were, they were brought face to face with the idea of dying. And we might say... If you're going to come after Jesus, you need to deny yourself. You're going to have to deny yourself and pick up your noose, your gallows, or, or bring along your electric chair. How do you feel about that? That doesn't sound pleasant at all, does it? doesn't feel good. Where's the joy in that? 
He says, trusting Jesus means that being willing to suffer as Jesus has suffered. Being willing to do the things he's done. And he is saying, you kill those things that are in opposition to me. You, 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 you murder them. Take them out to the woodshed and shoot them in the head. Be done with them. There's no room for anything else. So the disciple of Jesus is to be distinctly Christian. But the world that we find ourselves in finds us offensive and desires to rid us of it. You see, the crucifixion, the cross, was a tool by which, by which uh, um, uh, execution was carried out. And they are to, to willingly, to choose, to pick it up and walk with it every day. Pick it up. That means in all you do, the things that you desire more than him, every day you need to work at killing it. It could be any number of things. I mean, think of this. If Jesus led you away from your current job, would you leave it? Even if you knew that you weren't going to make as much money. If your current job interferes with who you are as a Christian, are you willing to give it up for the glory of Christ? If you cannot live your Christian life, I'm not saying go tomorrow and quit your job. I'm just saying ask yourself the question. If Jesus led you to leave your family behind, for the sake of the gospel, would you leave? If Jesus asked you to cash out your savings and give it all away to the poor, would you do it? These are difficult questions. Difficult questions. You know, I, I, I know. <laughs> I know because as I asked them, I thought, wow, those are difficult questions. And I felt myself. I felt the, the spirit within me. There is nothing I want more than you, Jesus. And I felt my flesh rear up and say, but, but how will, will I provide? How can I leave people I love? How will I know I'm taken care of in my old age if I let go of my savings? See, I know it's difficult. But don't think this is out of the question. All three of these things are things that Jesus demanded of people at different points. He looked at, let me, let me put this back in my head. He looked at those followers of his. And he said, come and follow me. And we know for a fact that Peter and James and John and Andrew were fishermen. And they were told to no longer be fishers of fish, but fishers of men. We know for a fact that Peter was sitting at a tax collector's table and Jesus walked up to him and said, come and follow me. And he was expected to leave it and go and follow Jesus. Is it too much to think that he might ask you to do the same? I don't think so. I had a, I had a whole idea about where my future was headed. I was going to be rich. 
I'm going to run an aviation business out at the airport, buy it out from the owner. Had it all figured out. Look at me now. I will tell you, I'm not going to be rich. <laughs> but it's worth it. He looked at, he looked at, he came and he says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. A sword that's going to divide families. Let me tell you from personal experience that the gospel brings division between those who believe in it and those who don't. Even in your family. It's not our responsibility to draw that division. But if people have no desire to be with you because you are a believer in Jesus, be okay with it. He looked at a rich young ruler. And that rich young ruler thought he was righteous and thought that he had met all the qualifications for eternal life. And Jesus said, but there is one more thing. And he points out this guy's greatest love. He says, take all your wealth, take all your belongings and sell them and give all the proceeds to the poor. Is it too much to think that he might expect you to do that same thing? To come after Jesus, to trust in Jesus, we must deny ourselves. We must be willing to allow the flesh in us to be, not just allow it. That's the wrong way to say it. We must be willing to kill the flesh in us so that we might follow Jesus. He says that. That's the next thing. He says, come and follow me. To trust Jesus, to trust Jesus is to make all of life about his mission. See, teachers and students in that day and age, they're different than teachers and students today. The teacher would walk ahead and he would teach and the students would follow behind and they would watch and hear what was going on. They would watch how the teacher acted and they would hear his teaching. And then they were expected to follow in his example, to do what he did and to act in the way he acted. Basically following in his footsteps in, in, in the way that he led them. In this case, Jesus is expecting his disciples to adopt his mission of redemption, saving the lost, calling his people that, that are out in the world still, calling them to himself. We're to adopt that mission. That's, that's, the, that's the life we're to give ourselves to. And restoration, making all things new, living and serving among one another in such a way that we are seeing God's people built up and, and, and growing in his likeness and shining more just like him. He expects us to give ourselves to that. Trusting Jesus means making all of life about his mission. That, 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 means, that, that means simply that the disciple of Jesus is to make every decision a missional decision and every action a missional action. It means we commit our time. The things that we give our time to, the things that we decide to use time for, whether it's work, rest, or recreation... We commit it to his glory. So when you're, when you're deciding whether you involve yourself in something, don't ask what's in it for me. How does this help me further the mission? How does this help me bring glory to God? 
This means as we give, spend, or save our money, we do it for the mission rather than for our own security. It means as we use our talents and abilities, that we do it to see him exalted rather than to make a name for ourselves. Let me just ask you, is there anything in your life that you're not willing to walk away from today? To trust in Jesus is to recognize that that thing that you're putting ahead of him is not good for you. You should be in this moment brought to a crisis of faith. Will I trust Jesus' plan for my life or will I trust myself more? Do I really believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that He wants my best and longs for me to grow and to become the best that I can be? Do I really believe that? Or do I believe that I have a better plan? Let me... Let me share these words of encouragement as the passage continues. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. You see, it's not about giving yourself to something or other, some, so, something that you like or appreciate so that you can continue doing, oh, I'm sacrificing stuff in my life. I'm such a sacrificial person. He says, for my sake and the gospels. There's a qualifier. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Jesus has called us to die so that we might live. Hear these words of encouragement, brothers, sisters, Christians. I mean... I'm not preaching this message to to load up on you a a heaping load of guilt. I want you to hear these words because Jesus has for you in them life. We cannot have two masters. It's impossible. You will love one and hate the other. Only Jesus deserves that place. Only Jesus has done the work to stand in that place. The disciple of Jesus is to starve his flesh and feed his spirit. The idea is kind of like Paul talked about in Galatians 5 and 6 as he calls us to a place where we do not sow to the flesh, but do sow to the spirit. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap the things of the flesh. Your life is going to be full of things like sexual immorality, anger, drunkenness. There's a whole list of things there. And if you're sowing to the flesh, if you're feeding the flesh, you're going to struggle with that stuff till the day you die. Jesus wants you to know his life now. He says, starve your flesh and feed the spirit. Give yourself to the things of God. You know what Paul says happens in Galatians six or Galatians 5 when we, when we live and sow to the spirit? The fruit of the spirit is produced in us love joy peace patience kindness goodness you want the love the joy the peace the patience the kindness and the goodness you kill your flesh you want these things in spades you kill your flesh you deny yourself you follow jesus 
This isn't my promise. It's his. I've heard it said that the Christian faith is one that's given to us freely, but once we're in it, it costs us everything. I think that's totally misleading. Do we feel a sense of loss? Absolutely. I'm going to tell you it's difficult to step away from a job where I felt like I had security and I knew that I was going to have a paycheck coming in regularly. It was difficult. I felt a sense of loss, absolutely. But that sense of loss that I felt, the sense of loss that Christians feel over things of the world is driven by a flesh that desires the world more than Jesus. You see, you sense that loss because you sense you're giving something up and your flesh longs for the things of this world. The truth is there is nothing to lose in Christ. Only gain. Did did you hear it? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Your soul is much more important than this wisp of smoke that we live in at the time in which we live on this earth. Your eternal salvation, your eternal identity, your life is worth so much more. And the the truth is this, we paid nothing for it. So we don't have to make up anything before we begin getting in the black. We don't have to make anything up. As soon as you step in, it's all gain. It's all profit. The disciple of Jesus has nothing to lose in following Christ. We only lose if we go our own way. See, I I do hope that in this moment you are standing at a crossroads. And I hope and I pray for your good that you see your flesh and where it would lead you. So that you can also see where the Christ that saved you would lead you. Lead me. I'm going to stop there. There's actually more that I have to say, but I I just want to stop there. And I want you to recognize the call and the expectation and what it looks like to believe, to trust. But we aren't free to just say we know God. He calls us to act like it, to live in it, to put it into practice, to exercise this new nature that is alive within us. How do you need to do that today? How do you need to start doing that in this moment? What do you need to kill so that you might experience the gain of life? Let's pray. Father, you're good and you're glorious, you're gracious. We know what we deserve from you. But you have decided to give us something different. God, in this moment, will, will you allow us just to, to recognize your grace? To recognize your mercy for our failures? Would you help us to sense, God, that the, the life that you've put inside of us, the new nature, the new man? God, would you allow us? a glimpse 
of the glory that comes with walking in accordance with that call and that nature. As opposed to living in the flesh. Jesus, we thank you for paying our price, for paying it in full, that, that we didn't have to make up any difference, that you just provide for us gain. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name, in your name. Amen.